Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I hate hearing that introductory bumper music because it's the kind of music that people who know how to dance like a jitterbug really look good out there on the dance floor. And I watch. And I fake it. This is something that happened when I was in high school. Uh, You sit off to the side in your chair, and you look like you're a good dancer because of sitting in your chair and trying to move in rhythm to the music. So I watch people who can dance to that kind of music. And I try not to say things like, you misstepped it there, you you didn't misstep it. Because as I've said many times on this program when I dance, I look like a frog in a blender. When I was in my 20s and 30s, my friends were all getting married. We would, of course, cut up in the receptions. And there was always one person out there that was much, much older than the rest of us. Not uncommonly, we said things like, wow, he's going to hurt himself. What's he doing out there? Trying to be cool? You know, you get like that when you're young. You you do. It's, it's, It's a sad thing. I had a horrible revelation not so long ago. One of my friend's children was getting married. And I went out on the dance floor to dance. About halfway through the song, I looked around me. I was twice as old as anybody else out there. And they were all at least 50. And I thought to myself, I'm the guy. I am the guy that somebody is saying, what's he doing out there? He's going to hurt himself. Do you think he's cool? Thanks for joining me here. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. I don't have to dance when I do this program, and that's nice. I just sit here in my chair, sipping my Coke. It's a brutal existence, but somebody's got to do it. It's all about commitment to me. My producer man is Andrew Kruchek. This is... Our E-Person Monday. Continuing to be linguistically sensitive, unwilling to even use a homonym, which is a word that sounds the same, but means different and spelled different. Email is very patriarchal. It's insensitive. Quite insensitive. So I say E-Person. I'm going to have to get rid of person eventually because that's of the sun per sun. But e-people just doesn't sound good. So we'll get to your e-persons shortly here. i got a stack in front of me. What I did is I went to my computer. I printed them all out rather than search through my phone, scroll through my phone. This stack right now is about a half an inch thick. So I'm going to try to get to the ones that came in sometime back if I can. There, hear me banging them. Okay. 
I did a talk once with a fella, and typically when people schedule a talk, they ask you, as someone who speaks to groups for a living, what is the best time, what is the best date, what things to look for. And I've always told them, if you're going to give a parenting talk, you have child care. You'll double your crowd if you have child care. These people with young kids will go listen to anybody, including me, if there is free babysitting and if you have snacks. Well, this particular fella said, we're going to do it on a Friday. And I went, ooh, I'm not sure I would do that. Friday, Fridays and Saturdays, unless you have a banquet or some special event planned or some conference just to have a come if you want to because some guy's going to be speaking here. Fridays and Saturdays are not priority days. People are busy. But maybe if he makes it 7 o'clock, we would do okay. He said, we're going to make it 4.30 shortly after school. This will give people time to go home for a little bit, come out, and then get back home in time for supper. Which I said, you're taking a risk. That's a very odd time. Uh, They are probably not going to break up their afternoon with the kids coming in or anything else they have to do with supper. Maybe they don't like to eat at 6 or 6.30. Nope, 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 nope. That was his idea. Okay. Well, the talk was very simple. It was very easy. One lady showed up. Now, it's a good thing I've got a stable self-image. Could have taken a personal. One lady showed up, and it was in a big auditorium. That didn't look too good. So she and I sat down in a third row, and we just talked. She asked me about different things, and we just spoke and give a presentation. This particular fellow was a very, very, very bright fellow. He was a philosophy, either prof or high-level educated person. And we got to talking about God and how God lets us do what we want, but yet there is this mysterious God's will, this mysterious He's going to work it out according to His purposes. And of course the question came up, well, how do those two fit together? You're going to be allowed to do what you want, but yet God is still in the end going to have his purposes. How's that fit? He gave me a great analogy. Matter of fact, I came away from that one person talk with a great insight from him. He said this. If I were to play... Bobby Fischer, remember Bobby Fischer, he was a grandmaster in chess. Just this epiphenomenon. He said, if I were to play Bobby Fischer in chess, one thing is certain. I would lose. However, in the game, I have the free will to make literally billions and billions of combinations of moves. Bobby Fischer would react to my moves. 
I'm not being forced to use my castle in a certain way. I'm not being forced to use my bishop in a certain way. I'm not being forced to use my queen in a certain way. No. I can decide what is the move I prefer. Bobby Fischer will then move also. But he wins in the end. I thought that was, it's not a perfect analogy, but I thought that was a very enlightening analogy to how God allows us to have virtually unlimited free will. Now, I say virtually unlimited because a lot of people don't have the free will that others have. Come on. There's brain damage. There is all kinds of factors that enter into limiting somebody's complete free will. Five-year-old doesn't really have free will in the sense that we understand it. But I thought that was fascinating because there was almost no limit to the moves I could make in that chess game. But Bobby Fischer, assuming he wanted things to end a certain way, would make them end that way. I thought that was fascinating. I've always carried that with me. I don't remember who the lady was that I talked to at all. I don't even remember what we talked about. But I remember that free will, chess, God's purpose in the end analogy. And one might even extrapolate that to not just my moves, but the whole world's moves. An infinite being can easily keep track of all that. I'm Dr. Ray. When I come back, we're going to dive into this half-inch stack. Stay with me. I just was calling to let you know that you are right. The doctor will be with you in just a moment. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. You remember the time I said on the air, go to confession. And when you're done, go out and have a big ice cream soda. Celebrate. And a man wrote to me, he said, you know, I hadn't gone to confession in 30 years. Do you mind if I went and had a pizza? <laughs> I said, oh, have 20 pizzas. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, 
Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Dr. Ray Gurendi, E-Person Monday, Monday through Friday, the program airs. This is a special variant, although our variants are getting weaker, of The Doctor is In. I am a father, father of ten, and I am my neighbor's kid's friend's father. Figure it out. It works. Dear Dr. Ray, I have five very athletic boys. Some of them come pretty much out of the womb, (laughs) playing sports. It's been very hard to balance sports in this culture. My oldest son plays ice hockey. She doesn't say where she's from. Probably not Key West. Because it has the most virtues in leadership. Um, Okay. And skill is more challenging. However, and here's the big but. It steals our family's time. Hey, I'll tell you what. You almost can't get involved in sports now without it taking huge chunks out of your family's time. All the data, this is her speaking now, and the recommendations for kids is to take breaks between your seasons so injuries and burnouts don't happen. That is a major problem among kids. They've taken a lot of the enjoyment out of sports because they've made it uh, overwhelming in its time commitment. You know, you get a kid who's sixth grade and he plays on some baseball quote-unquote travel team, which is now the, the cool thing. And he's, he's gone every weekend in some kind of tournament somewhere, and they practice during the week two, three, four times. Yeah, you can, you can love ball. I mean, I played a lot of softball when I was younger, and I loved it, but I didn't want to play four nights a week in tournaments on weekends. Plus, my wife would have shot me in the head. She says, children's sports are driven by big money. That's true. I've seen this. I have seen... The sponsorships of these leagues that are run by men, and they are used, they are used to recruit, and they are used to bring in the very best players and to sit the players who for three years had been on the team. I've seen that. What do we do as Catholic parents to influence the cultural change? Ah, you influence your culture. I have the same thing in baseball, and I've heard the same thing in basketball. As an athlete myself, now this is mom talking, I'm disappointed that the devil is trying to ruin sports and their true value. I have seen Catholic parents take the quote, I'm not allowing my kids to play sports approach to this question. Zero. Not at all. She says, Dr. Ray balancing sports, school, and family time. In one of my books, I talk about this. I talk about this go, go, get, get pace. 
and I call it pursuing the good at the cost of the best. Yes, playing sports is great. It's a good thing. Camaraderie, socializing, skill, self-control. You act like a jerk on the field, you're going to get thrown out. On the other hand, given the time commitment, especially with the younger kids, and especially if you have, like this mom, five kids, how do you juggle all of them? Well, Dad's going to take uh, these two to their games and practices, and then he'll swing back around because Mom is over at the daughter's soccer game because one of the things we did, we didn't eliminate sports. Two things that helped us. One, we found various leagues, and these were mostly church leagues, not recreational leagues, church leagues, where the games and the practice were limited. You practice one time a week. You played Saturday morning. Okay, cool enough. Second thing we did is we had to, given we had uh, 10 kids, and at one point it was 16 down to 4, we had to essentially not allow certain kids to have an activity in a particular summer. Maybe the fall, maybe the winter. Maybe the following summer, they could have their activity, or or maybe two, maybe two, depending. We were very selective, very selective. I was not going to pick something that basically took five nights a week and weekends when you had nine other kids. Just didn't do it. None of my children were, in fact, pro-bound. Although, if you look, it's interesting, if you look at the surveys... They've done surveys of middle school kids. The percentage who think they have a potential career in pro sports is so wildly hyper-exaggerated. No, I just hyper-exaggerated all that. Far beyond, far beyond the odds these kids are actually going to get into pro sports. Or even college. My son Peter ran track at local Catholic high school. He was good. Went to state. He probably could have run track. Division one. Said to me, Dad, they own you. Every night, every night, every night, every night. You get up in the morning, you have to lift. You have to lift weights. You have to have meetings. I said, Petey, you don't want to be owned by that. Don't worry about it. Plus, they, didn't, they weren't all that generous with track scholarships anyway. But even if they were, I'm not sure I would have done it. So I guess what I'm saying to you, Mom, you pick and choose. For your, your family culture, our culture right now is so locked into the overdoing of sports. For kids, for kids. They've taken a lot of the joy away from it. I've got guys that I play ball with, and they're 20, 21, 22, 23. They're done. They don't want to play anymore. Why? Because they started playing a Little League when they were seven. And they played so much. And it took up so much of their time that by 21 or 22, I'm out of this. When I was 21 or 22, I couldn't wait to be able to play sports. 
Hi, Dr. Ray. I have a question about outgrowing friendships. I was pretty fond of the party crowd in college. And in the last year after graduating, I've really grown on fire for my faith. I have friendships, and she puts those in quotes, that are not good, put that in quotes, per se. Because I don't agree with their lifestyle any longer and have a hard time spending time with them as they still enjoy doing and talking about things that we did when we were in college. Now, in between the lines, things that we did probably could be read as uh, the wild and immoral things that we did when we were in college. I guess I'm wondering, do I stay friends with them? And if I do... How do I go about doing it without putting aside my faith and what I believe just to relate to them? Let me stop there and intrude. A lot of it's going to come down to how much they let you be who you are. If they're going to go someplace that you don't want to go, you don't go. If they say, well, she doesn't want to go, so let's find someplace else. We'll We'll respect what she wants. I play softball. Softball players are not exactly known these days for their um, moral approach to life. So it's not unusual for a lot of the guys I know and that I've played with over the years to have radically different views of life and faith and morals than I do. For the most part, I socialize with them. It's, 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 it's a good kind of a civil, enjoyable shallow socialization. They're not going to go to church with me. They're certainly not going to enjoy some of the activities that I enjoy that are wrapped around either my faith or something that I feel is particularly enhancing. She says, if I don't stay friends with them, my fear is they will look at me and think, quote, she thinks she's too good for us and then have a negative view of the faith because of me. I think you're stretching it too far. What level of friendship are you going to stay with them? If it's, let's go out, we'll sit somewhere and we'll have a a nice time at a restaurant or a sports bar and you have your beers and I'll have my beer and we'll just sit and chat and talk. Okay, that's not a big deal. On the other hand, if the conversation turns very coarse, very ugly... You can quiet yourself down and and ultimately remove yourself in a gentle way. Well, i got to get going. Now, if they say, man, she is not the person we used to have fun with. She's become a real dud. Well, they're going to say what they're going to say. I wouldn't worry one whit about them interpreting that I'm too good for them simply because I don't want to engage in the college stuff we used to do and we used to talk about. It's relatively easy to stay on a pleasant, kind of superficial level with people. It really is. You talk about a lot of things. You don't have to get into arguments over faith or arguments over politics or whatever that might be. But if it does happen, if it's clear that your friends are saying, you don't think like us, then we just think you think you're uppity and you and your faith can get lost. Well, at that point, 
what are you going to do? You're not going to compromise how you look at things. You're not going to say, okay, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll look at it your way because I don't want you to think I'm a bad person or I'm a judgmental faith beater over the head. So I think you can balance it. But I think what's going to happen, I think it's clear, what's going to happen is ultimately you'll probably go a separate direction from your friends in college simply because it sounds like you're young and it sounds like life is going to take you in a different place than your friends. nice to have you with me on The Doctor Is In. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi, my producer man, Andrew Kruchek. He controls all the buttons that flash and beep and go in different directions over there in Ave Maria Radio Communications, which uh, cooperates with the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, a big one, big one, worldwide, about 500 stations. But on top of that, they've got all kinds of apps and all, all kinds of streaming and and we're on Sirius Satellite Channel 132. Not 132, Channel 130. Also, the Sea Person Monday. On your show, and she, she gave the date of the show, you talked to a lady dealing with relatives not practicing the faith. I think you said she didn't need to continue to urge them and to drop the subject. Well, probably what happened was she was getting a lot of resistance, a lot of vibes that said, we don't want to hear this. Leave us alone. Typically, that's kind of what happens. She says, I'm on the fence. I see your point. But what about Matthew chapter 18, verse 17? And if you don't know that one right offhand, I don't either, but I think she's going to explain it seems to take a much tougher stance. Make the attempt. And if all else fails, move on from their lives. Okay, I want to stop right there. Yes, our Lord sent the disciples out two by two and said, if they don't listen to you, shake the dust from your feet. However, this is not family and relatives. This is not mom and dad. This is not brother. These are people from another village that don't want to hear what the apostles have to say. Very different circumstances, very different context. Perhaps if taken literally, we should keep moving on, putting distance between ourselves as those who obstinately refuse to follow the church, especially if they were raised Catholic. I try to engage them in conversation, ask questions, occasionally offer a website or book, offer blessed medals. Well, it depends how much you do that, and it depends upon the reception you get. If it's clear they're barely begrudging what you're doing, or if it's even outright hostile, you've got to make a judgment. I think you're feeling like, given what our Lord said in Matthew about shaking the dust off your feet and have nothing more to do with them, that that applies to 
those in your life. Uh 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 uh. Sometimes this fails. Other times it seems to open doors, if slightly. Okay, well then you know you had enough experience on when it might open a door. On the other hand, some remain obstinate. Close their minds entirely. They barely speak to me. Well, that's telling you something. You got back off. If they're not going to speak to you, you want to have at least some kind of relationship. These are your relatives or maybe longtime friends. But they're rejecting the Catholic faith. Yeah, of course they are. That's going to be between them and God. I will tell you, if I only hung around with people who viewed the faith as I do, oh, I'd have a much, much smaller social circle. I might send them a birthday or a Christmas card, but generally I hear very little or nothing in return. Much of the time I get a cold shoulder. So, Dr. Ray, what about this verse? Well, as I said, there's a very different context in that verse. The disciples were preaching the good news to essentially strangers or people that uh, maybe have a, a, a thin attachment to them, not to mom and dad. Are we supposed to make an attempt then? And if they don't respond or are hostile, move on, hoping, praying for the best? Well, I agree. If they don't respond or are hostile, there's not much more you can do. Now, here's where, here's where I think the confusion comes in. Are we not supposed to have much, if anything, to do with them? No. No, you've got to show them love. You've got to... I have people who flat out reject the Catholic faith in my life. Some of them are atheists. I'm still very close friends with them. I don't write them off. The only chance I would ever even have. I have a friend who's an atheist. But he did something that was incredibly heroic. And I said to him, I said, what you did, many Christians wouldn't do. And I said, if in fact there is a God, I think that will be something that he will very much, very much give to your credit. And my friend said, that's, that's good to hear. Dr. Ray, that's what that verse seems to suggest. And that's the point of this email. I have a sibling with stage 4 cancer. Rather than getting back to the church, it seems he doesn't want anything to do with it. Not concerned about salvation from all appearances. Well, then you, you visit. You visit him. You don't necessarily preach the faith. What else can I possibly do, Dr. Ray? I'm still getting pretty much brushed off. Well, it depends on what's getting brushed off. Is your presence getting brushed off? At that point, they don't want to see you. Or maybe you have a history. You know, if you set up a history of, I'm going to keep telling you about the faith even though you don't want to hear it, then yeah, their view is, uh, I really don't want to have a whole lot to do with you anymore. On the other hand, if in fact it's something that you could have a giving, loving relationship with them, and visit. When I was in the evangelical world, we had a Bible study debate. Is Mother Teresa a Christian? The consensus, consensus seemed to be doubtful. Well, obviously, she, she thinks she has to work her way to heaven. And furthermore, there's no evidence that she tells those on their deathbed the sinner's prayer. I don't know exactly 
They don't know exactly how Mother Teresa spoke to those dying. I'm sure it was varying because of who each person was. But one thing I do know is that she said you love them and you be with them at the end. Chances are many of them were Hindu. That's not a Christian religion. As far as I understand Hindu, it's not even a theistic religion. So, but Mother Teresa still took care of them. She didn't say, well, I'm going to go find the Christians. I'm going to go find the ones that, that believe in God and believe in Christ, and then I'll, I'll minister to them. She didn't do that. So I think that's a little bit of where you are with your relatives. My guess would be, and I've, because I've seen this happen so much, if you don't know when to stop pushing, because you think to yourself, I can't stand the thought that they're ignoring God, they're ignoring Christ, and who knows what's going to happen to their soul. Unfortunately, that is becoming much more common in our culture. I suspect people who are faith-filled, practicing Christians are now very much in a minority. So, you got to have relations as best you can with your relations. Dr. Ray. What a privilege to do this program. Truly, truly a privilege. Not just because I get to sit here comfortably, sip pop, eat pretzels. I'm moving on to almonds, though. Healthier. But just because I get to to be with you and to talk with you about the stuff of life. Dr. Ray, I just had to relay this conversation to you. I was in the car with three of my four sons. I have ten children total. We were listening to your show. What, were they being punished? Someone had called in about discipline issues. I said, oh man, I like this guy. The 15-year-old said, who is this? I replied, Dr. Ray. My 17-year-old said, wait. Dr. Dre? Me laughing. No, not Dr. Dre. Dr. Ray. 13-year-old said, Who is this guy? Me. He's the guy who gave us the idea, idea to give you the essays when you misbehave. And then, all three of the children nearly simultaneously groaned and made negative comments. 17-year-old, I wish you got your parenting advice from Dr. Dre instead. (laughs) I had to ask Andrew who Dr. Dre was. Apparently he's some rapper from the 90s. I'd heard the name. uh, Another uh, radio program I did some time back, I said I needed a good street name. So my street name was D-Ray. 
<laughs> but I haven't used that one for a while. So the kid said, "Hey, you know, give me give me this, <laughs> give me the advice from Doctor Dre rather than Doctor Ray." <laughs> I was wondering if you might help me. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not what she said. Very insulting what she said. I'm gonna I'm gonna let it slide. I was wondering if you might be able to help me with a hopefully quick question about our son Peter, age four, almost five. My husband and I have noticed in the last few weeks he's been more defiant when we ask him to do something. Well, I would say this, Mom. Has he ever been this age before? It's not unusual at all for kids to kind of change in their style, to discipline, to acting out. That's not unusual. I mean, they they go through all kinds of stages and phases like that. She said, up to this point, he's been that one in a hundred kid who almost always obeys, goes to timeout without question. All right, so, okay, Mom, I'm going to tell you. You got free you got free five years is what you got. That's what you got. You probably were thinking you're God's gift to parenting. Right? I oh man, look at this. This kid doesn't give us any trouble at all. Must be my style. I'm a parenting goddess. No, he just was not quite five yet. So he's five now. Now one could say there's stuff going on in his environment and I can't know that. But from what you're describing briefly in this little letter, it doesn't sound like it. It just sounds like he's getting older and he's Deciding to push the limits a little more. That happens a lot. When he gets angry, he very recently developed a habit of either punching the air, like he's mimicking hitting someone. Hey, boxers do that all the time. And here's where I'm worried about the kid. Not because I think he's psychologically unbalanced, but I think he's kind of dumb, at least in this regard. Or clenching his fists and hitting himself. Well, I would guess he isn't hitting himself too hard. I mean, you really got to be dumb to hit yourself too hard. So he probably just smacks himself in the forehead because he's mad. (laughs) Now, let me insert. I was about four down in the basement. Any of you are old enough to remember the old kitty in the keg barrel? It was a series of barrels that you progressively unwrapped and got smaller and smaller till this got down to the tiny little barrel, and there was a kitty in the cake. Well, I <clears throat> got down to the kitty, and then I tried to put it all back together, and it wouldn't cooperate. So, I took the barrel, and I threw it at our cinder block wall, smashed into the wall. My mother said, Raymond, pick that up. I said, because I was a sweet child, you pick it up. She looked at me, stalemate, so I figured, okay, I'm going to break this stalemate. I was, not a, I was not a smart child. I went over to our cinder block wall in the basement, and I started banging my head against the cinder block wall. So that does explain a little bit of what you experience with me on this program. 
I got her. Putty in my hands. I know she wants me to stop. Now, I'm not totally stupid. I didn't hit it really hard enough to hurt anything. But it looked good. I pulled up just at the last second, right before I hit the cinder block. Just at the last second. But it looked good. I mean, it, it looked like one of those fake fights you see on TV, the old Western TV series, where they come within about an inch of each other, punching each other. Punches, which, by the way, would kill an elephant. And these guys basically hit each other for about ten minutes and then get up and wipe a little bit of spittle off their shirt. So, here she comes. I thought, all right, that's it. I won. I won this one. She said, you going to pick it up? I said, no. And I continued to bat my head. And she said, let me help you. Okay, oh, that's enough of that. I stopped. Headbutting was not all it was cracked up to be. Now, she wasn't going to do it, but I was four years old and I didn't know that. My mom was an Italian mother. She wasn't going to be bullied by my psychological expressions. Now, our writer says, as I re-enter this email, he's hitting the air or he's clenching in fists and hitting himself. She says, I'm thinking this behavior is a result of us telling him that he's not allowed to hit his two-year-old brother or anybody else when he gets mad. Okay. Good. Makes sense. Not allowed to hit people. She then says, do you have any suggestions for how to help Peter deal more appropriately with his anger? I think he's dealing appropriately with it. He's not hitting anybody. He's kind of dumb hitting himself. But keep in mind, he's probably not going to do any damage. Or if he did, let's say that he kind of bloodied a lip or blooded his nose, which I don't see happen very often. But even if it did, he'd quit. That'd be it. He miscalculated. I'm not doing that anymore. That's really dumb. Because him hitting himself is basically his message to you. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I'm mad. Watch this. He's only four to be five. So what? As long as he's not hitting anybody else, I just look at him and go, well, you can punch the air all you want. Or, if he's hitting himself. Now, again, this sounds like a developmentally normal little boy. This is not someone with developmental issues that has to be protected because he could do real damage to himself. If he's if he self punishes, but this is a situation where mom is a little worried because well what does this mean? Um, a five year old boy is going to have a lot of frustration. It's not anger; it's frustration. I'm not getting to do what I want to do, so I got to act out. I think that's kind of a mild way of doing it myself. Some five year olds throw stuff, they kick stuff, they swing at their parents. This guy's just kind of swinging at the air. So I think in a lot of ways, he's still like that kid who was a one in a hundred cooperator. He's just getting a little older and deciding, okay, all right, all right, I'm going to do it this way. I'm Dr. Ray. What's the deal with Dr. Ray? I mean, is he a psychologist or a comedian? Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? 
Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling. 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plan, counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to setonhome.org. That is setonhome.org. Well, last segment here of The Doctor is In of E-Person Monday. I saved this one. I like the way it starts. I like the way it starts a lot. Dr. Ray, you are so right. All right, I don't really want to go any further. I think think that says it all. It's good enough. All right, she expects me to. I spoke with my daughter-in-law over who teaches elementary school daughter-in-law apparently teaches elementary school. She said that at the staff meeting prior to the start of the school year, they were told that they can't single out any student. Now, before I go any further, you have to ask, what does that mean? Are you going to be critical and nasty toward a student? Let's see what they mean by can't single out. For example... If the class is lined up for recess, and little Rocky is kicking Angelica, the teacher cannot pull Rocky out of the line. Poor Angelica! And make him go to the back of the line. Well, what do you do now? I'll tell you what, if I was Angelica's mother or father, I'd be having some comments about this one. We don't want to single him out. We don't want to make him look bad. Well, he's already looking bad. Most kids don't like to be kicked. You cannot single out a student for praise either. That means if you say you did a beautiful job on that paper, the other kids are going to feel terrible because you didn't comment on their paper. Dr. Ray, I worked one year as a playground cafeteria monitor. When a child 
Now, not a playground cafeteria, playground slash cafeteria monitor. When a child didn't follow the rules or misbehaved on the playground, we could tell him or her to go sit next to the wall for two minutes or so. Now, I want to interrupt right there. First of all, two minutes is nothing. If you're an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old and you're, you're hurting somebody, you've got to go sit for two minutes. What does that really say about what we think about hurting other people? Oh, no, no, no. You can't throw a rock in his face. Two minutes. Two minutes. That was back when the school was strict, I guess. If he was in the cafeteria, he had to sit by himself. Can't do that anymore. Needless to say, the staff is demoralized. If you look at surveys among teachers, saw a recent one. 55% of them want to get out of the profession. 55% said, I don't like being a teacher. The main reason, now obviously they got a lot of bureaucratic stuff going on, but the main reason is discipline. Classroom structure, classroom order. The other thing that's really bad about this kind of stuff, what about the other kids? Does anybody care about their learning environment? Does anybody care about there's one or two kids in there that can create total disruption? You can't really do much about it. So therefore, these other kids have to put up with this chaos. Totally unfair. Totally unworkable. I don't know when it's going to break the system. I, I thought, back when I, was, back when I was consulting to the schools, I was in 12 school districts for about 10 years, I thought, you know, some of these ideas are getting pretty crazy. Well, it certainly sounds like they've gotten crazier. What we do is double down. Where I was, for example, oh, I'm going to run out of time here. You could not suspend a child because of his handicap. Sounds good on paper, doesn't it? But I worked with the SBH classes, the Severe Behavior Handicapped. So these kids were, were nasty and violent and disruptive. And if they attacked a teacher or a kid, you couldn't suspend them. Why? Well, because behavior was their handicap. Yeah, that's the way it was. So, indeed, I eventually moved on because I could not work with some of the ideas that now came to dominate the classroom approaches. Yep, this doesn't surprise me. I've, I've got teachers who have told me this. One teacher told me, he's retired now, he said they had a big debate in his middle school to stop giving homework. Because so few kids are turning it in, they figured they would just quit doing it. Yipper. Oh boy. Hopefully more rational heads will ultimately prevail. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. I appreciate the company. Appreciate it so very, very much. I'm so glad I didn't raise my kids according with all those ideas. I enjoyed my kids a lot more because of it. Walk with God. I'm Dr. Ray. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.